Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio as we await to another battery of front page photographs and harrowing accounts of war in Ukraine while civilians shelter from Russian bombs. Vladimir Putin set out his terms for peace as Kremlin fears grew that the military effort is failing. Difficult to know precisely what is going on on the ground in Ukraine but we're getting lots of different uh, accounts from various different parts of the country. Uh, many of them say that the military effort simply isn't working as well as it should. The Russian president says he wants assurances that he can rule Crimea and two separate uh, separatist regions in the east of the country, plus a promise that Ukraine remains an independent state outside of NATO and the EU. Meanwhile, the West continues to offer money and ammunition to Ukraine as more than one and a half million refugees flee the country. Lots of conversations going on around that, of course, as well. And now there's also calls for a boycott of firms like Coca-Cola and McDonald's because they've refused to stop doing business in Russia. I mean, this is all getting a bit ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, the virtue signalling types who put Ukrainian flags in their Twitter bios and who now say you shouldn't go and buy anything from Coca-Cola, you shouldn't do anything at all that has anything to do with uh, anything to do with Russia, um, it's all gone a bit mad, hasn't it? We'll talk about that, of course, as well. This morning we're joined by Bob Seeley, Tory MP for the Isle of Wight. We'll be talking about the economic crime bill passed in the House of Commons yesterday, which will make it easier for the government to crack down on Russian oligarchs and their assets in the UK. But I wonder uh, what happens to all the other people who have brought what can only be described as shady-looking money deals into the London Stock Exchange or into uh, the London property market or into the casinos and the big hotels of Park Lane. What's happening to them? What about the Saudis? What about the Chinese? What about all of the dirty money swilling around in London? Why are we only picking on the Russians, for heaven's sake? We'll also get Bob's take on what else we should be doing to both help escaping Ukrainians to get here and to further pressure Vladimir Putin into some kind of ceasefire, which he obviously um, has a mind to do because he can't keep this up forever. 0344 499 will be crossing live to the front line with charity relief worker Pavel Kurzak, who's travelled to Ukraine from the UK 
to bring much needed supplies. Last time we spoke to him, he was in Poland. He's now crossed into uh, the war zone, so he's going to give us a report directly from there. Laura Dodsworth is here as well. She's got plenty to say about the Scottish Gender Recognition Reform Bill, the state visit this week of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and why the NHS is now proposing to burn millions of pounds worth of unused PPE. Sounds a bit mad, doesn't it? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So this morning we've got a lot of different page ones. We've got Shredded Faces Chart, Putin's Strategy Better Than Any Map, Anthony Lloyd, one of the great war correspondents in The Times this morning uh, from Kharkiv. Uh, we've got a little girl on the front page of The Sun, Defiance from Ukraine, Little Princess Amelia sings the frozen anthem and captures the hearts of millions around the world on behalf of the innocent victims of his savage war. We say to Putin, let it go. Uh, and pictures like this, which are just quite extraordinary of children being led to safety, uh, even as they are being shelled and as they come under fire from a Russian artillery. I mean, it seems extraordinary, doesn't it, that we are now into day 12, possibly day 13, of an armed conflict in a part of Europe which is very much part of Europe. And unfortunately, we can't guarantee the safety of any of the people who are in there. We can only hope that we can get them out. We can only hope that we can somehow bring Vladimir Putin to the table. And we can only hope that this does not go on for much longer. Let's talk to Bob Seeley, Conservative MP for the Isle of Wight. Bob, a very good morning to you. Morning, good morning to your to your listeners. I mean, I, I, I'm sort of at a, slightly at a loss as to where we go today to talk about this. We have reached day 12, day 13. There are some horrific kind of personal accounts coming out of all sorts of different parts of, uh, of the country of Ukraine. I mean, well, how do you see it, Bob, um, as, a, as a conflict? And how do you see it as a kind of a, a mid to long term problem? Well, OK, what's interesting is that the the Russians are outlying, outlining some peace terms. Yeah. And that would suggest that um, they now realise that they're doing a lot of damage to their state. Mm. And potentially the, the, the Russian state needs to sell oil and gas to survive. And if those revenues are in doubt, then the state becomes significantly less viable. The, the Russians won't be able to pay for the war. They won't be able to pay for their defence machine. Uh, they'll have real trouble paying salaries for people employed by the state. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm a part of me is is slightly reassured that they are already now trying to talk peace, albeit on terms which are not acceptable to the Ukrainians. Yes, because from what I understand, having read a couple of different reports this morning, is he's asking for an assurance that uh, there'll be no um, involvement with NATO or the EU, that Crimea remains under Russian rule, and that the two separatist regions also uh, remain under Russian control in some way. I mean, the worry is if the Ukrainians then say a flat no to everything, um, then the Russians will then use that as an excuse to escalate. And if you if you go back and read Putin's original 20 minute statement on the uh, justifying the action. OK, it, it was aimed at Ukraine, but actually all the language was about the West and his sense of betrayal by the West. That the West are a bunch of lies. It's an empire of lies. Um, uh, and, and actually his 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 enemy in, in his eyes i'm afraid to say is us yeah ukraine is simply a pawn in a bigger strategic game because we've taken their ukraine and we've turned it and therefore it must have been turned by neo-nazis etc etc yeah um I, I mean i do think we need to treat the the russian state as being in crisis as well here as i think much so as- 
I mean, what's, much, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, what what sort of um, intelligence do you guys get from inside of Moscow and inside the Kremlin? Because obviously, I mean, we hear an awful lot of how the propaganda machine in Russia has told many of the people there that they are in a just war. They are trying to defend Russia's honor. Um, you know, they're trying to cleanse, if you like, Ukraine from all of these terrible people that have taken it over. But at the same time, obviously, the sanctions are having quite a big effect. Um, some people think they might be having a neg- negative effect as far as we're concerned. OK, well, uh, Putin is very good and the Putin regime is very good at turning uh, anything around to be used against the West. So if the West reacted very, look, we, we should have made Ukraine far too bitter a pill to swallow. We should have armed them years ago. I think the coalition made a dreadful mistake when it decided that it didn't want to offend the Russians by arming the Ukraine back in two, the Ukrainians back in 2015, 2016, after Cameron and the coalition broke up. So I, I think that was a significant error of judgment. Yeah. Um, and I think we've, you know, there have been plenty of warnings about Putin from 2007 onwards, and it was just too difficult for us to reorientate, too difficult for us, our state, to get its head around what is going to be happening. And frankly, there was too much money going through the city of London, uh, and there were too many people making good money out of these oligarchs who were absolutely part and parcel tied to and part of the informal Kremlin power structures. Um, so I think these probably things influenced us in the same way that German dependency on gas influenced them in an unhealthy way. And agents of influence within German and Russian society uh, influence the German, German business community in, frankly, a very counterproductive and unhealthy way as well. Mm. And I mean, there's no question that the money that has been produced out of Russia has has kind of poisoned the well, if you like, of all of Western Europe. And Western Europe has only got itself to blame, surely, for being greedy. I mean, slightly. And look, I mean, that is now changing. And I think everyone is pretty surprised by the extent to which it is now changing. I wish it had changed much faster after 2014, but it is changing now. What I would say is that actually we now need not to overcompensate for not doing enough before. So we need to think very, very carefully. The Russians are talking, and I say the Russians, the Kremlin, the Russian people and the Kremlin are not the same thing. Mm. Uh, The Kremlin is very much talking in a language of hysteria and existential crisis, so crisis to the existence of Russia. We absolutely need to be talking in a really calm and reasoned manner and continue to talk in a calm and reasoned manner. And whether we like it or not, that also means continuing to talk to the Russians so we can provide a vehicle by which they can actually de-escalate at some point Mm. when they've exhausted some other options. Um, but also that we challenge their language, because if they're talking about nuclear conflict, we need to be saying to them, you're not under threat, you know, you're threatening others, please Mm. think, consider your actions. So we need to be talking a very rational language. My slight worry is, as much as I admire, look, President Zelensky is leading his people fantastically well, and the Ukrainians are doing fantastically well, but we now need... You know, there's going to be an awful lot of emotional pressure on us on no-fly zones and the like. And I think that is very, very dangerous territory. The Ukrainians will win this war. There is absolutely no doubt about that. The Russians are going to lose this war. There is absolutely no doubt about that as well. Mm. But the the Russians could still do phenomenal damage to Ukraine. And frankly, in extremists, phenomenal damage to the rest of Europe and indeed the world. So we have to give the, the... We have to... We have to get some routes and war games some options to peaceful routes whereby the Russians and Putin can somehow claim some kind of 
victory whilst ensuring that the Ukrainians get what they want. This is up to Ukrainians and the Russians to negotiate, you know, not up to us to tell them what to negotiate. But we do need to to remind the Ukrainians that a 95% victory now that presents an, prevents another 10,000 civilian deaths is maybe better than a 100% one that risks far, far worse scenarios because the Russians will escalate up. Yes, absolutely. And, and of course, it's hard to see any kind of peace deal being made without um, somebody losing face because the Ukrainians have said all along that they don't wish to give up any part of their country, understandably, uh, yeah. which is what obviously what Putin wants. Is there a sense now that, that Putin has kind of gone beyond the pale and that we need to start looking ahead to who else is going to be in a position to run Russia? Well, when you say beyond the pale, I, I just... Again, I think for those of us who've been watching Russia over the last 10, 20 years, the, the Moscow Street protests back in 2000, from 2011, for, on and off for a couple of years, spurred Putin onto action to ensure that his regime was impervious to democratic, street-led democratic protests, these so-called colour revolutions. Mm. And as well as redesigning Russian military doctrine, which he did from sort of 2000 to 2000, roughly 12, 2013, um, as well as restructuring the Russian armed forces, which sort of happened from 2005 to 2020, roughly. Um, uh, Putin has also set up the ability of his regime to crush democratic street protests, to take countermeasures against color revolutions. And if you want to look at the effectiveness of that, you look at Belarus, which had some significant sort of street pro-democracy rev- um, protests going on, and a mixture of thuggish sort of National Guard thugs on the streets, beating up protesters, um, um, using the power of the state to uh, listen into phone calls, to intercept calls, to arrest people, to find ringleaders, to imprison, and frankly, to torture them, um, destroyed that destroyed the, that um, uh, sort of democratic uprising, if that's the best way to describe it, pretty quickly. So his regime is very impervious to sort of democratic popular pressures. So even if he now pulls out because he thinks, OK, I need to look after my regime because I, I don't want it to fall, Putin will go eventually. His regime's finished. Mm. It might take another five, five days, five weeks, five years. It might take another 15 years because you might then get another Putin afterwards like his sidekick, Nikolai Petrushev, who shares his worldview. Yeah. And as far as what happened yesterday in the House of Commons with the economic crime bill, oligarchs and kleptocrats now are going to be told it's going to be more difficult for them to sell off property. It's going to be more difficult for them to, uh, you know, not produce proper statements of the assets that they have and all of that. But is it just picking on the Russians, if you like, rather than looking at the whole problem? Because you could go after people from Saudi Arabia, you could go after some of the Chinese money that's in uh, in London. Where does it all end? Mike, I think it ends with a, with a, frankly, a healthier and more transparent system than we have at the moment. And as I said to Liz Truss yesterday, as I said to Priti Patel yesterday, this has got to be the start of a process. And it is hugely frustrating. A couple of years ago, I, I, wrote, uh, I wrote to the government with a report of how to bring in a foreign lobbying act. And we badly need a foreign lobbying act, a foreign registration act. So all these enablers and facilitators in our country have to list who they work for and what do they do for them. Um, and that hasn't happened. So um, we need, a, there's lots that we need. Um, if I, you know, I've got a list somewhere of 10 points. What is it? We need, we need to stop the abuse of data protection law. We need to stop the abuse of libel. Yeah laws by by kleptobracks and and criminals we need a foreign lobbying act we need to update the espionage laws there's lots that we need to be doing to make sure that we have um we encourage healthy money to come here rather than dirty money Mm. because at the moment all russians are getting it uh there are lots of lovely russians in london it's just that 
it's the people that we need to go after are the facilitators of the Russian regime who are part and parcel of this hybrid warfare, hybrid conflict mm. structure that Putin has established. Right. There's a difference between Russians who are working here, Russians who may be very rich and their money may not have been made in a particularly nice way, but aren't part of the Russian state, right. but also those people who facilitated the money flows to the tax havens who are absolutely part and parcel of Putin's regime. Yes, exactly right. And it's not just, as I say, not just the Russians. I mean, the other problem I have with, with financial regulation and financial control, I know you've got to run, uh, I'll be very short with this, um, is that, you know, when money laundering rules got brought in a few years ago, uh, people were saying to me, I can't get a mortgage because I've borrowed some money from my mother uh, and they won't let me use it because it's apparently money laundering. I can't justify where I got it from. And so yeah. it's always a difficult area isn't it you don't want to get too bogged down in it it is and for everyone who sort of bangs and when the, the opposition bang on about oh my god you know you um you you why have the tories sat on this we've got to remember the last time we brought in money laundering bills it was the labor party and the lib dems that were moaning about them and saying well you need greater protections and you know we don't want to give government too much power well right. yeah well you can't win can you um one final question bob is vladimir putin if he comes out of this with a promise, for example, that Ukraine never joins NATO and never joins the EU. Will that be a victory for him? Well, an actual victory and what you're presenting a victory to save his regime are two different things. That is not good. That's not good enough. And the Russians said that wasn't good enough a month ago. But mm. it might be that they will now spin that. And look, he's got total control over his broadcast media. Most people believe him in Russia because they've had 20 years of Soviet-style broadcast propaganda. He, he can sell that. Yeah, well, listen, Bob, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. I'm sure we'll be back talking about it same time next week, if not before that. Bob Sealing, instead of MP for the Isle of Wight, also a member of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. Um, there's no question, it would seem, that there is hope on the horizon that some kind of ceasefire could be achieved, that some kind of peace deal could be discussed, that some kind of end to all of this horrible carnage that's going on in Ukraine can actually be brought to a halt. And I think that's what everybody wants, isn't it? 0344-499-1000 is the number to call. Les says this, I'm wondering what percentage of civil servants are actually back at their desks in the Home Office and other Whitehall departments. Is this having a detrimental effect and slowing down the processing of visa applications? Well, it's a good question. You may well ask. If anybody is listening to this and does work for the Home Office and is in fact working from home or not, we'd love to hear from you. 0344-499-1000. It's all radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're also now available, of course, on the television. Uh, you can get us on Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Roku, YouTube, now on Amazon Fire TV. All you've got to do uh, is go to the App Store and download the Talk Radio TV app or go to the page talkradio.tv uh, and you can watch us all the way through the day. And, of course, coming up, it's Talk TV, which is going to be even more amazing with more shows, more uh, characters, more individuals and more entertainment than you can shake a sticker. It's going to be absolutely brilliant and now boris johnson's holding a meeting with justin trudeau and the dutch prime minister as well uh, i don't know what trudeau's doing here i'm sure that many of you would not be that welcoming to him i'm sure i wonder if there's any demonstrations going on uh, lots more of you to talk to as well do keep your calls coming in 0344 right now uh, we're going over to kerson uh, in uh, ukraine uh, we're going to talk to dennis ganja uh, who is the ukrainian youth delegate uh, to the un dennis a very good uh, afternoon to you welcome 
Uh, nice to see you. Thank you very much for joining us. How are things uh, in Kherson? We saw over the weekend that um, Russian forces had taken control of quite a lot of the city. What's it like? So it's uh, not right to say that they are taking control of the cities. It's just that there are some of their troopers out there in some cities. But the Ukrainian army is fighting them back. And it's also Ukrainian people who are fighting them back because they are protesting every day. Right. They are going on the Russian troopers with no weapons, saying to them, go away, we do not need you here. And what's the reaction from the Russian troops? Because we hear as well that there's a lot of young um, uh, men rushing, uh, um, uh, taking part in, in this invasion, but a lot of them aren't very happy about it. Of course, they're demoralized because uh, they were taught that we will welcome them with flowers and cheering. But of course, we not. We are welcoming them with cocktails of Molotovs. We are saying to them, go home, take your weapons. We do not need you here. They didn't expect such a thing happening in Ukraine. And even Putin was not ready for this. No. I mean, I think he was taken by surprise, wasn't he? So so as far as you're concerned, Kherson is still very much in the hands of Ukraine then. It, uh, there are a lot of Russian troops there, but still all the cities are ours. It's just that we make sure that we push them back to where they are, to their borders. Right. OK. And I mean, how badly damaged does it look? Because we've seen Kherkiv looking in pretty bad shape. And obviously there's going to be a lot of repairs that need to be done. Um, are they sort of hitting a lot of civilian targets? Like just yesterday, the place where I was living in uh, for two months uh, before the war, it was hit by Russians. They, are, they have destroyed 200 schools in Ukraine, mm. and they're nearly destroying Kharkiv. They're, it's like they're hitting the area where no military objects, no plants, they're just hitting it for something. The city center is nearly destroyed, and of course it will take a lot of time to bring it back, but be sure we will work on this after we win. Sure. And we saw um, over the last couple of days some British... Um, volunteers coming into Ukraine. Hopefully that's going to be a help. And I don't know how many have come, but so far uh, they're all ex-army, ex-military people coming to help with with your fight against the Russians. Um, Are there other people coming from other countries as well? There are more than 60,000 people, 16,000 people coming from 52 countries from all over the world. And there are still 20... 20,000 applications, which we will work out. Right. So there are really a lot of people who want to join us. Yes. I think it's incredible, isn't it, how many people around the world, how many countries around the world uh, have backed you against Russia. And in many uh, countries in the United Nations have also done the same. Do you think the UN could be doing more? Because I know that uh, obviously with the Russians being part of the Security Council, it's difficult. But the actual body of countries... Uh, in the UN, generally speaking, uh, all but I think five voted against the Russian invasion. So these are the only friends of, of Russia. You you see all of them. Yeah. It's very powerful <laughs> friends. Uh, what is really the situation with the UN? Because we are now demanding that the Russia should be suspended from any international forum. And it's really a chance to finally change the way the Security Council works. We really hope that the UN officials will take the courage to remove Russia from the Security Council. We're campaigning on it constantly. But of course, it's a hard bureaucratic process. But we hope that this will come soon because Putin's Russia must be stopped once and forever. Yes, I think so. And do you feel still quite confident, Dennis, that that can happen in Ukraine? That we win? Of course. 88% of Ukrainians are sure of this. 
And how our president says, we have already won the war for our future. It's just the case that we need to win the war for our today. Absolutely right. Well, we wish you all the best. At night time, is it worse than daytime? When, when, when is it that, uh, that they attack most? So personally, where I'm staying today, uh, today's night, it was very tough. Uh, there were a lot of bombardments going really every 10 minutes, probably. It's mm. hard to count already. You're losing this. I also found a special mark uh, which Russia placed uh, to the places that they will potentially bombard. We have destroyed it with our army. So they're working. They're working, unfortunately, but we are pushing them back every day, every hour, every minute. Right. Well, listen, that's very good to hear. Dennis, thank you very much indeed. Dennis Ganza, the Ukrainian youth delegate to the UN uh, in Kherson, which he says is not in the control uh, of Russia because the Ukrainian forces are continuing to beat the Russians back, continuing to stop them from reaching the targets that they want to acquire and continually uh, making sure that if you are a Russian invader, life is not going to be too comfortable for you which I think you have to say uh, is a great thing. And certainly from the point of view of watching, you can see it on the talk radio Twitter feed, uh, British soldiers going out, former British soldiers going out to help with the fight. It really does make you feel quite proud to be British. And I think it's a great thing that they're doing. And they're very brave men, young men, many of them, uh, going out to help out with the, uh, uh, the fight back against the Russian invaders. It really is quite extraordinary. 0344 499 1000. We've got time for a few more calls before Ian Collins gets here. Uh, this is from Richard in Nantwich, who says, uh, a witch report of six different manufacturers of electric cars versus petrol and diesel equivalents concluded by a score of five to one that ownership of conventional powered cars was better than electric on cost and reliability alone. Well, I think that's, isn't that right? That the, 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 the the, I think it was something like one in five or possibly more than that of the electric cars had to have something done to them, fixed up within the first couple of years of ownership because they broke down in some way, shape or form. So they're not the answer. They are definitely not the answer. And they're also not even green. That's the problem with electric cars. This is Talk Radio. Independent Talk. Talk. News Talk. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. With the self-appointed revolutionary of reason, Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots coming up in this hour. Laura Dodsworth is here. We're going to be talking about all manner of things. Net zero for a start. The cost of living for a secondary start. And also, what on earth is old Justin Trudeau doing here in Britain? Why has he come here? And why does he wear a mask sometimes and not other times? We're going to be examining that. And also, we're going to be looking at the PPE story from this morning, where apparently we've got all this unused PPE. So instead of giving it back to the people that sold it to us, or indeed trying to sell it to somebody, uh, we're going to burn it, apparently. (laughs) Maybe it could be a new source of energy. Why not? Instead of fracking, just burn all the stuff that we wasted money on over the last two years in the pandemic. I think I've got it. I think I've got it in one. And is there a new boy band on the horizon, which includes Boris Johnson, Justin Trudeau, and that bloke from Holland? Because nobody knows what his name is, I'm afraid. <laughs> Wrong direction, we're calling them. We'll come back to that in a minute. And we'll take more of your calls. 0344 499 is the number. This is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Breaking news, it says here, Shell are going to stop buying Russian uh, oil and gas. Good. That's the start, I suppose, isn't it? But I bet they're not going to drop the price of the other stuff that they sell us. 
Good well, morning, by the way. Good, well, good morning. Sorry. Good morning. I sometimes I think our, our, our best bits, the off-air bits, before before we begin, <laughs> I I come in and I start ranting to you about the things I want to talk about, yes. and you rant about. And we, do you know what? Do you know what it reminds me of? We're like the two old men in the Muppet Show in the balcony. Yes, I've been accused of that in the past <laughs> many times. We're perhaps with the old man and the old lady. I mean, I would say that there are certain things that I'm enthusiastic about, though. I'm not entirely, you know, denigrating of anything, of everything. You know, but I, I am I do enjoy denigrating things and and people, particularly yeah. if they're hypocrites and or self obsessed morons. Well, we, we just rattled through all the things we want to talk about. You know, in your little list, then I'm going to have to tick you off a little bit, mm. Mike. You know what you've missed off? What? Well, my big story I want to talk to you about today is the proposed reform in Scotland oh, yes. to the Gender yes. Recognition Act. Yes, of course. And I think it's good to talk about it today on International Women's Day. Yes, I've forgotten about that. Sorry, I know, my apologies. <laughs> so there's but my... not only had I forgotten about that story, I'd also forgotten it was International Women's Day. <laughs> well, thank goodness Many for me. Many happy returns to all women listening. Thank goodness for me here to remind you. I mean, neither of us are really kind of big on celebrating International Days or International Women's Day, but I, I think it's, it's a good day to talk about this story. Yes. So... The Westminster government has, I think, very wisely decided to leave safeguarding protections in place mm. for when somebody who is transgender wants to change their their gender. Right. But the Scottish government, under Nicola Sturgeon, mm. has proposed to change the Gender Recognition Act. And at the moment, Scotland is consulting on this. So I'd urge everybody, you don't have to be Scottish, anyone in the UK... So they haven't finally decided yet? No, they've put forward proposals. And no doubt there'll be some kind of weaseling around and mm. a compromise in the middle. But what they're saying is instead of living for two years in, your, in the gender you identify as... Right. You will go through a three-month process of doing that. Then there's a three-month kind of reflection period. Cooling off period. Cooling off. Well, there's not really a good, you know. The idea is that once you've declared and said yes. you're changing your gender, that you're supposed to mean it and it's forever. What if nobody's listening to you when you say that? Does it still count? It's a legal document. Ah. But the part that will be missing will be that medical diagnosis yes, of so gender dysphoria. Not in Scotland. That's no. the proposal. And there'll be no panel. So it will become simply a matter of self-identification yes. you declare it yourself now there are a number of problems with this and i can't believe i'm having to point it out <laughs> on the one side to give balance trans activists say that the process as it is at the moment is intrusive for transgender people who want to change their gender identity well because they have to go and see a doctor about it because there's a medical process and it's two years uh. but something you know even with the existing act what you have to do is live in your gender identity for two years i haven't yet heard anyone explain what that means mm. without resorting to sexist stereotypes yes because what does it mean to live in your acquired gender right. it's normally about things like hair and makeup and really? clothes and names and the kind of the i mean i get my trappings. hair and makeup done every day now um does that mean <laughs> i have to change my gender do you want to change your gender i'm not sure what's in it for me well i'm, up for, I'm up for a you know bit of a variety in life well let's get on to what's in it for some people okay then so some people it makes them um you know eases their mental distress and it makes them happier to live ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In, in their um, self-identified gender. Okay. What some women are concerned about is that women are going to lose protections around women-only spaces. Yes. Also, if Scotland's going to be different to the rest of the UK, it makes Scotland a kind of a trans Gretna Green. Hmm. Because the other thing they're going to do is bring the age down from 18 to 16. Yes. So at the age of 16, you can decide to change your gender, which means that if you are resident in Scotland ordinarily resident not there all the time uh-huh. or you're Scottish and you live somewhere in the UK it's still open to you uh-huh. it's going to be open to everybody at Scottish universities I'm technically Scottish so it will apply to you there you go except I don't think you're 16 are you so you not miss, really. you miss out on that part of no. the benefits what about um, this other thing that they're saying which is that if you change your mind after the specific period that you weren't supposed to change your mind during you can then be prosecuted apparently well, because you have to sign a legal declaration that you mean it, that you're, you're yeah. intending to change your gender So if, forever. say, for example, five years later you decided it was a mistake, you can actually be, be prosecuted for a crime. I, I don't think that's going to happen because the thing is that people do change their mind. And it's another important angle to bring into this. I worked on a project in 2020 mm. with detransitioners, women specifically who had thought they were trans men and then changed their mind. Right. Now, that regret is something that we don't quantify mm. Believe it or not, the NHS um, do not check how many people then um, change back right. to their original gender identification. No, they don't. But we think it's probably quite common. Mm. Um, and without any way of tracking it, we don't know how much of an issue it's going to be. But having interviewed women who've done that, that sort of regret from detransition brings with it a lot of trauma. So I interviewed and photographed women who'd had double mastectomies, that had hysterectomies, they'd taken hormone therapy, and then they've changed their mind. Mm. And they can never really go back no. to who they used to be in every sense, no. emotionally and physically. Right. So there's that to consider. By bringing the age down from 18 to 16, um, I mean, look, at the age of 16, somebody isn't allowed a tattoo, but right. we're saying they'll be, able to la- they'll be able to change their gender without their parents' mm. permission, without even a medical diagnosis of dysphoria. I think there'll be a lot of parents who'd be concerned about the idea of that. But then also we lose protection in women's refuges, women-only spaces, women's prisons. Yeah. Now, if somebody has a gender recognition certificate and they identify as a woman, then they're housed in women's prisons. One thing that we're told is that men won't, predatory men won't use this to gain access to women, except I think they probably will. They already do. Well, they already have, haven't they? I mean, it's only a year ago that a police officer used his position to murder Sarah Everard. A couple of high-profile cases we've had of male transgender people who are sexual predators being in women's prisons. There was Karen White in England who um, sexually assaulted four female prisoners. Barbie Kardashian in Ireland, I know that's Ireland, not the UK, but um, had a history of 
attacking women, violence towards women, including his yeah. own mother, was put in a women's prison. So this does happen. Right. At the moment, there have to be what's considered exceptional circumstances to house a male transgender prisoner in the male estate. Nobody is at the moment. They're put in women's prisons and they share women's communal spaces. Mm. And I think that's a really unfair thing to it do seems to women prisoners. unwise, at the very least, to mm. use a very understated sort of way of describing it. But also... The argument that they make, the SNP, for this not being a problem as such is that predatory males are already out there and therefore, um, you know, they will be predatory. However, that's not really the case if they're not in women's spaces because they wouldn't normally be there. And if they're being put there because of their own choice, then clearly that's a problem, isn't it? Well, I, I, there are always going to be predatory men. Will there be predatory men that abuse this in order to get closer to women? Possibly. Um, experts have given that advice in the English Gender Recognition Act consultation, mm. as it is. Um, there was some research done among Scottish prison wardens, and there were female wardens who said they're very uncomfortable with strip-searching male transgender prisoners. It's not even just about mm. the prisoners. I mean, one of them said something quite telling. They said they were very uncomfortable with doing um, male transgender strip-searches, but what you have to do is look past the body, pretend yeah. the body isn't there. So she's kind of putting it very clearly. You have to look past the evidence of your own eyes, not look at the body in order to do a strip search on a male body. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very bizarre situation. So I think it's probably, personally, I think it's unwise to drop the safeguarding protection that is there mm. of living in your acquired gender for two years and having a medical diagnosis. Yes. It just adds that bit of security that keeps a balance in life that ultimately benefits women, but benefits some trans people because then we're all more comfortable with each other's status in mm. society. Yes, and I mean, all this talk about being comfortable, though, is, is, is a very modern kind of concept, isn't it? You know, there's no guarantee that you're going to go through life being comfortable, I'm afraid. Sometimes you're going to be uncomfortable and sometimes you're not going to feel very well. And sometimes you're going to be offended. Sometimes things are going to happen that you don't like. You can't legislate for all of that. In no, the end. but when I use the word comfort in that case, I'm using it really euphemistically. Mm. If somebody has a gender recognition certificate, no, I'm, I is know, it, I know is how it more you mean comfortable it. to know that they've been no, through a more how, rigorous no, process? Yes, no, I know how you it. mean it. But, you know, there are all sorts of situations where people find themselves feeling uncomfortable about something that's going on. Mm. And I just think it's a dangerous precedent for a government to try and set. And I think, without wishing to bring in the dreaded COVID word, mm. this is the kind of thing that follows from this kind of ridiculous, overbearing, you know, interfering government that we've had uh, over the past two years, much worse in Scotland than here in, in, in England. Mm. But, you know, this is where they go because they go, oh, we'll just make another law about it, shall we? Well, how about you don't make another law about it? How about you just, you know, get the hell out of the bedroom or get out of, out of the, the hospital, wherever it is that you want to, you know, put your nasty little hands in. Stay away. Sorry. No, I, I, I'm honestly, I'm flabbergasted that it's International Women's Day and the Scottish government is proposing um, a reform to a bill that would mean that any man can say he's a woman yeah. on his own say so without seeing a doctor um, with a very low bar, a very low threshold, and the impact that will have on women-only spaces. Mm. There are other countries in the world right now where they'll be arguing for women-only spaces, women's toilets, yeah. etc. And we're actually talking about changing the law in devolved Scotland so that women don't have that protection. Mm. Yeah, I know. Bonkers, isn't it? Mad. Let's talk about uh, Mr Trudeau and why he's here. Why or, is he here? Or two-faced Trudeau, as yes. I like to call him. So we've seen pictures in the media this week of Justin Trudeau sitting in a meeting with Keir Starmer and yeah. they're both wearing black masks. Very masculine, sitting down in a meeting with their black masks is on. Do you think it's significant that the mask is black? 
Well, like they haven't gone to Zorro pig, have Zorro they? type thing. <laughs> More bandit-like. I don't know. <laughs> no, you must have noticed men tend to wear black masks. I haven't really, no. Haven't you? No. I mean, I don't see a lot of black masks, to be honest. I mean, I don't see many masks at all these days, thankfully. Well, thank goodness. Apart from Trudeau and Keir Starmer, who are keeping up the whole pantomime oh, yeah. together in their Well, meeting. I saw Trudeau coming into a room with Boris and that bloke from Holland, as I call him. Um, can't remember his name. Mark somebody, I think. Anyway, no, wrong direction, as I'm going to call the three of them. Um, and he was wearing a mask. The other two were not. Trudeau sits down, takes the mask off. And you're going, what are you doing? Is it uh, some kind of show you're about to do? Well, he's either disingenuous or he's stupid. And neither's a good look, really. Could be both. But in the same week, we've seen these images of him wearing masks to meet political leaders. He's meeting our 95-year-old our queen with no mask no on. Mask. Now, I think this is perfectly fine. They've both had COVID mm. and they're both vaccinated. Yeah. So, I mean, and the, and the mask doesn't do anything. Right. So I think that's fine. Yeah. But it's interesting that he will not wear a mask with the Queen, but will with Keir Starmer. Yes. And it's just the absolute epitome of what a two-faced man this leader of Canada is. He is. Because not only that, you know, this week he's talking about how the world needs to stand against authoritarianism <laughs> and democracy being in decline. But this is the man who froze the bank accounts of protesters yes. who were protesting against his onerous vaccine mandates and not only that but froze the bank accounts of people donating to the protesters yes. and he has the brass neck to talk about authoritarianism. Hmm. It's got the same level of hypocrisy for me as the Russian embassy in Dublin yesterday who complained about the fact that somebody drove a car through their gates uh, describing it as an act of wanton violence and you're going sorry what? Yeah yeah. Are it's you sure? Exactly. It's hard to know what planet some people are on. Yes. So the sooner we see the back of Trudeau, the better. But that, that I mean, you're so, it's so funny calling the wrong direction. Seeing, seeing that um, poster that <laughs> Nadim Zahawi has shared on social media of the bloke from Holland, yeah. Boris Johnson and Justin Trudeau, walking down the street in yeah. a boy band-esque You sort style. of want them to be doing it to the tune of Staying Alive, don't you? You I know, that John Travolta kind of, you know, swagger. But they what, haven't got it. What are the? I don't think it would be as cool as staying alive. What are the three of them doing together? It's like they're the boys in the playground that nobody else wants yeah. to play with. It's it's the most weird little trio it of is. world leaders, isn't it? Very, what, am I, I mean, what am I missing? Well, Why all do of they these belong together? Because they're all geeks, that's what they are. But they think they're interesting geeks. And never go near people who think they're interesting because they're geeks. And that means they're not very interesting actually at all. They mm. just think they're interesting because most of the other people around them are even less interesting than they are. They all did long, hard lockdowns as well. They did. Boris didn't want to, though. He did it with a heavy heart. Remember? Remember yeah. that? I do it with a heavy heart, really. That's Thanks. why he's at the front. He's in the middle. Oh, look, they're on TV again. Oh, actually, it's our TV they're on. That's very good. They're playing it as we speak. This is the great value of uh, Talk Radio TV oh, now. Now, we're going to talk about the bonfire of PPE coming up in a minute. Laura Dosworth is here. There they are. Wrong direction. It's great, isn't it? They're in the wrong order. They should be in ascending order, so Boris should be on the far left, even though he's not. Um... This is Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, the home of common sense. We talk it all day and all night. Laura Dodsworth is here uh, giving us her version of common sense. And just before we talk about the burning, the bonfire of the PPE, John Burko, remember him? Mm. Former Speaker of the House, banned from Parliament for life. Mm. What's because he, what's he's he a bully. Apparently a bullying inquiry has found him guilty of bullying. Really? Serial bully. Wow. wow. That means he can't even go there for tea, presumably. Mm. He certainly can't sit in the House of Lords, which Great won't shame. please him at all, will he? 
because he was even happy to throw himself or hurl himself at Keir Starmer and his feet to get himself a Labour peerage. But now he can't get that. So I'll have to look into that. Was there, a, was there a most recent example of bullying? Well, I think the most talked about one was people in his office that used to shout at a lot. Right. You know, and he, I think he might have been accused of hurling the odd item at someone. Something like that. I don't think it was well, a phone. That was Gordon Brown, wasn't it? Gordon Brown used to like throwing phones at people. We don't like bullies. There are many more to get rid of in the world as there well. There are. One of them is running Russia. <laughs> we should get rid of him next. Maybe ban him from Parliament. One of them just met the Queen. Yeah, he's a bit of a bully, You know how I feel about Trudeau. Yes. Yeah, we don't like him. Now, let's talk about this PPE madness, because um, we bought all this PPE. First of all, the government was accused of not buying any. Then it was accused of buying the wrong kind. Mm. Now, apparently, we bought a load of stuff that we didn't need, and we're going to burn it. Yeah, so we've got these stockpiles of PPE, um, and, and the proposal is to burn it in order to generate electricity. So this, to me, I'm going to call a bonfire of common sense. Yes. So part of the problem we had at the beginning of the COVID pandemic was we didn't have stockpiles of PPE. Yes. Not because we didn't think we needed them. You should always have stockpiles. So I don't know whether these things have an expiry date on them, but it seems to be, to be a little bit insane to burn them because we keep being told by Bill Gates and the World Health Organization mm. and various gloomy public health full soothsayers mm. that there'll be more pandemics to come so i don't know why we don't keep our stockpiles also but, could it be the wrong kind of ppe though well i got no idea but also all these things you know they have chemicals in them that when you release them into the environment yeah. they're actually they're they're pollutants they're right. toxins so they can release dioxins which are endocrine disruptors and carcinogenic we don't want that released Presumably, into the atmosphere when they burn them though they'll be burning them in some kind of incinerator because there's an incinerator uh, down just down the road from here near minwall football club um, which burns stuff for energy. So I think it contains all of the toxins somehow inside of it. So we can do that, but not coal. I'm sorry, this makes no sense no. at all. Furthermore, <laughs> the taxpayers paid for that PPE. Yeah. So we've paid for that and we will pay for it for a long time to come. Yes. And when we burn it, we might as well be burning our cash. Why don't we just take wheelbarrows full of cash to, be to honest, the NHS and to the government and say, just burn it. Well, and well, and just cut out, cut out the middlemen. Well, but let's talk about the middlemen because, of course, hmm. people have become very rich some of them have. with PPE contracts. The BMJ has done some great yeah. articles um, exposing the contracts for cronies. You know, there are friends of, the, of people in the Tory party who have made personal fortunes yeah. selling PPE. So we could have just cut out the money, man. We could have just burnt wheelbarrows full of cash yes. instead. And what's extra crazy about this proposal right now mm. is that tomorrow Quadrilla will pour concrete over our potential to extract shale gas. Yes. So right now our country is facing rising energy and fuel costs. We're talking about concreting over shale and burning the PPE that we're going to be in debt for, it's for like generations. The, it's, like, it's, it's an gone, example of how you move. Mad, isn't it? You move from one story to the next mm. in a bonfire of common sense. Yeah. It's hysteria. It's insane. Do you get the sense, though, if you were sitting as a fly on the wall in Downing Street, that you know somebody comes in and goes, what are we going to do with all that PPE? Should we burn it? Yeah, OK, then. It, That's it, kind of how it's going on, isn't it? OK, it's, it's potentially like an episode of In the Thick of It. Yes. I think, you know, I'd, I'd love to think that the civil service and the government doesn't look like in the thick of it, but sometimes... No, I think it is. Sometimes you have to think it does, because the alternative that we do such stupid things, yeah. such terrible acts of self-destruction mm. knowingly, is even worse. Yeah. 
Um, I think the idea that we have a stockpile of PP and that will burn it wasting the taxpayers' money is horrific. The idea that we are not going to use the very treasure under our feet in this country, which would give us energy security and reduce energy bills, yeah. is disgusting. So my energy bills right now are looking at £1,000 a year more. Mm. That's insane. We had a guy I don't, on yesterday. I, don't, I didn't sign up to this. No. I don't agree to it. We had a guy on yesterday who said potentially he was looking at £7,000 a year for an energy bill for his house. And I mean, he was comfortably off and he said, look, it's not about that. But he's managed to get a deal done whereby it's only going to cost 3000 But I mean, 7000 a year for, for just, you know... Energy? Ridiculous. Yeah, well, so it sounds like he's got a bigger house than, than what I have. Yeah, but even so. But the thing is, you know, for everybody, these are um, serious additional costs. Mm. But for some people, it's going to drive them further into fuel mm. poverty. For some people, it's an equation between heating and eating. There's very little that I actually expect this mm. government to get right. But one of them is providing energy. Yeah. And... This is but none a, of them pay electricity bills. None of them pay their own bills, and that's why they don't know how much it will cost, and that's why it doesn't affect them. They don't fill up their own cars with petrol. They don't bother. They don't need to. They've got well, people to drive them around. We need to scrap green levies. Yep. Um, bring down tax yep. on fuel. Um, we need to start drilling for shale yep. and using our own gas reserves, uh, coal, yep. and building up energy security. And the way forward is not burning some masks to generate electricity. Do you know what that is? That's what I'm going to call sandbagging. Mm. In a flood, sandbags get delivered to the disaster yeah. really quickly. The reason is it's so that people think something is happening. Yes. I think they don't this, do any good. They I've don't been do in any floods good. with sandbags. They don't stop the water. Yeah. Burning, Trust me. Burning PPE is like a form of sandbagging. It's to make, make them look like they're doing something. Oh, yeah. oh, quick, we've got all this wastage. Yeah. Let's burn it and make electricity. No, just please don't. Don't let Quadrilla concrete over our shale gas. No. That would be a lot more useful. It would. We're out of time again. In fact, we're running late. Laura Dodsworth, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Uh, let's get burning. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got much to do, much to talk about. Dr. John Lee's going to join us uh, in the coming uh, hour after midday uh, because guess what? We touched upon the PPE and the bonfire uh, of all of the masks and the bits and pieces that we apparently didn't need to use. Um, also, the NHS is basically saying if you can't get an appointment in the NHS to get whatever it is that you need done, done, and you're going to be on a waiting list for five years, don't worry because what we'll do is we'll pay you to go private. So that's great, isn't it? So we'll give more money to the NHS as per the tax rise that's going to happen in April. And then that won't be enough in order to fix the waiting list, even though that's what it's supposed to do. And instead of that, we're going to spend even more money, of my money and your money, giving people private health care, which the taxpayer actually picks up. Extraordinary. Let's talk to Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, who is here with us. He's here tonight from Seven, of course. John Burko found to be a serial bully, Kevin. Yes, and banned from Parliament for life. Uh, found guilty of 21 egregious counts of bullying his three staff, throwing a mobile phone at one of them. See, I thought uh, there was some kind of throne throwing racial insults. Uh, the man is finished. He's disgraced. Uh, he's gone. If he was told uh, by the Parliamentary Standards Commissioner. Catherine Stone, that if he'd have been an MP, he would have been thrown out. And she also branded him a serial liar. The way I think about John Burko, the poison dwarf, what goes around <laughs> comes around. 
Well, this is a happy ending. Yeah. Well, I mean, talking of happy endings, the funny thing about uh, John Burke was that great story that was told, I think, repeated by David Cameron about a member of the cabinet uh, who once got into a bit of a prang in the House of Commons the, car the, the park. Happy dwarf thing, uh, yeah. yeah, and he went and he went up to uh, uh, to this guy Burko and said, "I'm not happy." And he went, well, which one are you then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's when Burko nicked his parking space. That's right, yeah. Very oh, funny. Cameron nicked his parking space. He storms over to Cameron and says, Prime Minister, I'm not happy. Yes. Which one are you then? Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, the point about him really, though, is that he absolutely had his sights set on getting himself into the House of Lords, so much so that he was willing to change sides and go and join the Labour Party in order to just try and see if he could become a Labour peer. So that's all gone for a Burton now. Presumably he can't even go into the House of Commons for a cup of tea. Well, he, he because of his behaviour as a speaker, where uh, he really stepped over the mark. I mean, he became the Speaker of the House of Commons and full-time campaigner for Remain. Uh, his prejudices were absolutely clear and present. And because of that, he wasn't offered a peerage because he was so horrible to the Tories. In those days, his part party and of course as you say he desperately switched parties but that's not going to work out for him either so uh arise mr burko and don't ever go to westminster again yeah absolutely right um now let's talk about ukraine because an interesting story today uh, in the daily mail about the bravery of zookeepers who moved in uh, with a bunch of animals they simply couldn't leave behind and this is the kind of thing i mean we we obviously covered it a lot you did it specifically with pen farthing uh, about the animals coming out of afghanistan I mean, this is another thing that, that people, I suppose, forget about in conflict zones. Yeah. There's a lot of animals there. Yeah, well, I mean, apart from the animals in the zoo, there are now, you know, thousands of stray dogs who've had to be abandoned roaming Ukraine and in some cases horrifically feeding on the dead bodies in the street. That's how bad things are becoming in Ukraine. But as you say, Mike, in Kiev, there's one of those heartwarming stories. I remember in the Afghanistan war, there was one zookeeper at Kabul Zoo who refused to leave the zoo and he carried on feeding this one lion that was there. It was a heartrending story story but in kiev 50 staff are refusing to leave the zoo they are living at the mm. zoo to feed the animals and one of them said if we don't do this the poor things will die and you have uh ukraine's only gorilla tony uh, is being protected there and uh, terrified horribly uh the only uh, elephant they got is called horace and horace is elephant keeper is sleeping with him in the elephant cage mm. because the poor elephant is so traumatized by the bombing and the only thing that calms him down is his keeper feeding him apples yes. so these are the periphery stories that make you realize what the horrors of war really add up to it's not just the bombing of people it's the destruction of all life of everything yeah i mean funnily enough we were speaking to our um our sort of charity relief worker, uh, Pavel, earlier on in the uh, show, and he was saying that one of the things, bizarrely, that they need in uh, in Ukraine right now is dog food because they don't have any. Yeah. Well, as I say, uh, you know, there are now lots and lots of stray dogs. You heard that little kid on uh, Talk Radio News saying she's so sad because they had to leave their pets. These pets are abandoned. They're wandering the streets. I mean... This is kind of Armageddon. It's so horrific. It really is. It's ghastly to watch, isn't it? Um, let's get on to another subject. Um, we know that there's a net zero uh, referendum being called for by lots of people, uh, including Lance Foreman, who was on the show here, Lois, Lois Perry from 
uh, Carl 26 and uh, now Nigel Farage is trying to make it into a big political kind of um, touch point, if you like. Um, Lord Frost has written in the sun today saying get cracking on the fracking. Well, he's absolutely right. I mean, what the Ukraine war has done is it has collided us with reality, with the real world. No more can we go around uh, fantasizing about carbon net zero and pedestrian zones and, you know, cheap renewable energy, which doesn't exist. We cannot fuel this country with uh, solar panels and wind turbines. We need gas and we need oil. And frankly, we probably need coal as well. But there's one source of limitless gas for 100 years worth, and it's right under our soil. And we can frack for it. It's called shale gas. Yeah. We can drill down and get it. Now, up in the northwest, uh, there are already mine shafts in place. And of course, the crusties demonstrated and the cowardly government agreed to close down these fracking sites. Uh, and now we need to reopen them because that's the only way people are going to avoid energy in this country. And what are the government poised to do? Pour concrete down the mine shafts. This is the luxury Western thinking that has to stop. This is the nonsense that made Putin realize he can invade Ukraine and we do the square root of nothing about it. Mm. We're, we're weak, woke and ridiculous. We must open those fracking sites and we must start drilling for shale gas. That'll give us a hundred years worth of cheap energy and people will be able to afford to live. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Kevin O'Sullivan back with us at seven o'clock tonight, of course, uh, just after drive with Christo and just before James Whale at 10 o'clock. Right now, Liz Trust, the Foreign Secretary, uh, is in the House of Commons. She's taking questions uh, from other MPs. Let's have a listen. Catherine McKinnell. Uh, the Foreign Secretary knows that a vital way to help Ukraine is to stop those who've stolen money from the Russian people hiding it in our capital city. But after years of austerity, our hollowed-out enforcement agencies simply do not have the resources to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with billionaire oligarchs. The world's other major financial centres, New York, doesn't have the same problem and it takes a much more robust and well-resourced approach to tackling illicit finances. So will she acknowledge that without um, proper funding of our law agencies that can tackle illicit funding, we can have all the tough laws in the world, but people will still see the UK as a soft touch? Well, we've established a cross-government task force to enforce the laws we're putting in place on oligarchs. I think it's important to note that the legislation that we passed yesterday will actually reduce uh, the amount of bureaucracy required to sanction oligarchs, so it's going to help target our resources better across the government so we can focus more of our efforts on enforcement. And um, The Honourable Gentleman asked me earlier about further measures on transparency. Those are all being introduced and we are very committed to that. Mr Speaker, I was speaking to friends of mine, Ukrainian friends who live in Kendal um, just a day or two ago. They have family in Kiev and family in Crimea. In Kiev, they know exactly, tragically, what is going on. In Crimea, they are completely in the dark and fed only what Putin tells them. Would she agree with me that one of the ways we can help Crimea, oh, sorry, how we can help Crimea and the whole of Ukraine is to ensure that 
People within Russia and Russian-controlled territories know the truth of the murderous barbarity being done in their name. Will she be encouraged, I'm sure she is, by the fact that in the last week the BBC's Russian language website has seen a trebling of its number of visits, but that's only 10 million people and there's 150 million in Russia. What can she tell us to help us to uh, make sure information is got to the Russian people? Tim, sorry, Tim. don't take advantage, please, for a second. The, the Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right about the importance of the BBC in communicating to uh, the Russian people and the fact that they have been lied to for years through disinformation, uh, bias state TV, and we are now seeing Putin taking even more repressive measures to stop social media. One of the factors of this crisis is that young people in Russia are less likely to believe the regime because they did have access to social media. Putin is now trying to cut that off. We are working with social media companies about what we can do. We've established a cross-government information unit to communicate with the Russian people directly in uh, Russian language. and. The other point I would make is one of the impact of sanctions and one of the reasons that we've targeted banks is it, does, it sends a message to the Russian people when they are forced to queue for money or when they can't get on the tube or when they can't access the normal services they've been accessed. And I welcome the actions of corporates in Britain to withdraw their services from Russia because the message has to get across to the Russian people that this appalling war is being fought in their name. Mr. Trust, the Foreign Secretary answering questions in the House of Commons there. We'll keep you uh, updated with all the news that comes from that particular session uh, as it happens throughout the course of the afternoon here. Uh, there's also a press conference over at NATO as well going on. Certainly there's noises being made uh, from Russia about the possibility of some kind of peace talks, but it's a long way off now uh, from actually getting anywhere. But we shall see uh, exactly what that turns out to be. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smartphone. Speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham, Talk Radio.